We're in that wonderful time of year when most of the MBA students in the U.S. will be receiving their feedback from their interview attempts, and many of them will be spending the next few hours, days, some of them even weeks, trying to divine the meaning of the feedback if they did not get offers. Now, the interesting thing is the amount of effort that goes into this. I kind of recall it's like when I was in high school and we studied Shakespeare, you know, an enormous amount of effort went in to try to understand what some guy said, what's it, like 400 years ago? And we assume that there was a lot of thinking and logic that went into what he said. I mean, for all we know, he could have been drunk when he wrote it. But the point is, we spend a lot of time trying to find patterns in feedback when there may be no patterns. And that's what this podcast is dedicated to. Now, how do you take the feedback you received if you were rejected and how do you use it? Well, the first thing you must remember is that the feedback you get is based on what the partner first remembered, if you made it that far, and then what the person chose to give to you. So if you were in the beginning of the day and the note-taking was bad on the interviewer's side, they're not going to remember much. And even if they remembered a lot, they obviously filter that out and choose to share some information with you and not share some information. I'll come back to later why uh, information is shared and so why some information is kept back. So that's the first thing you have to remember. Yeah. The information you get in terms of feedback is, is a function of what is remembered and what they choose to share with you. The other factor that influences the feedback you receive is the level that you interviewed at. Ultimately, you'll find that the more junior the person who interviewed you, they'll give you feedback that's very technical. They'll talk about your math skills, your speed. They will really give you feedback on conceptual thinking because more or less they're not qualified to do that. I mean, even at an associate, even engagement manager level, they're going to struggle themselves with understanding your ability to think conceptually. Sure, I mean, they'll, go, they'll say otherwise, but that's the reality. But you'll notice as you interviewed principals and senior partners, managing directors and so on, They'll be less focused on the analytics. They'll bring it up if there's a problem, but they'll be more focused on the conceptual thinking. So, again, understand the level who's giving you feedback. I would say you've got to take feedback from both parties equally well because the junior levels usually do the first round and the very senior levels as partners and so on will do the final round. But you've got to understand the level that's giving the feedback and understand the bias they have. The next point, which for me is even more important, is remember that the feedback they give you is relative. If someone tells you you need to be more structured, unless you've asked them to clarify what that means and define structuring, you can't really use the feedback. So if you received feedback saying you weren't very structured or your framework did not allow you to analyze the case sufficiently, don't just blithely listen to it and be happy that you're getting feedback. You need to probe to understand what the interviewer meant by this. And what's normally going to happen is that senior people would have given their feedback, consolidated with a group, and you've got one person phoning to give you feedback, and that person doesn't even want to give you feedback. They don't even know what the partner said. They don't know, know what their colleague said, but they just have to do this because this is protocol in terms of managing the firm's image. So when you get feedback, remember it's all relatives. When someone tells you you need to be more structured relative to what? Define structure. What do you mean when you say not structured? What do you mean when you say that the framework I had wasn't sufficient enough? In what way was it not sufficient? Now, the problem you have here is that it's very difficult to ask those questions. If you do ask the questions, some people just don't care and they won't give you feedback. But the reality is the person who's giving you the feedback over the phone most likely doesn't understand it themselves. And they cannot really give you more information. So they'll give you some cop-out answer and expect you to go with it. So just remember that when you get the feedback. The other point is remember that most of these people are going to give you feedback on what they were focused on in the case. If you have a weak math background, you know, 
let's assume you have a, you have a liberal you're a liberal arts major doing the MBA majoring in marketing at Wharton your lack of a numerical background will come up and that'll be the focus in the case so when you are getting feedback on your math skills doesn't mean you were dinged only because of that it could very well be that in the case they emphasize the math part to test it for you and it could be, and this is an important part, so I want you to listen to this. And it could be that, because they spent so much time testing that, they never got a chance to test your communication and fit side as well. But if they had tested it as sufficiently as they tested the math side, you would have gotten equally in-depth feedback. So also remember that when you're getting feedback. You know, what did they test? Because that will give you the bulk of the feedback. If they didn't have time to test communication and they didn't have time to test fit, then you'll get less feedback there. And if you get less feedback there, it doesn't mean that you are good at communication and fit. And I've seen this problem a lot with a lot of candidates. I mean, we placed about 61 we ended up at for uh, McKinsey, Bain, and BCG. But with all placements, we ended up with a close to 80%, right? But still lower than our uh, MBB 80% that we normally have in total. And people get this kind of feedback, and they want to know why is it different and so on. The next point about feedback is remember cases, communication, and fit are different. Don't tell me that you're fit. You did well and fit, therefore you don't have to improve communication. Remember, you are assessed in your cases based on the way you communicate. If you did bad in your cases, how do you... If you did badly in your cases, you have to deduce whether you knew what to say but you couldn't say it, or you knew what to say and you said it well. Now, if you knew what to say and you said it well, then it's a, it's a case problem. If you knew what to say but you couldn't communicate it well, it's a communication problem. The point is, when the interviewer is sitting across from you, they don't know which one it is. They don't know if you're just communicating badly or if you just don't have the information. So when the interviewer tells you you did bad in the case, they cannot distinguish whether it's communication or, or the case that's, well, that was poorly done. So you have to be really smart when you look at the analysis right, and the feedback you're given. The other point you need to remember is that consulting firms are very careful about what they tell you. I mean, particularly in the, in the UK, in the US, and Canada, I mean, the threat of lawsuits is a big issue. I mean, if you tell a candidate, you knocked this out of the park, what do you think would happen? Most likely you would get sued, right? For not hiring the person in the first place. So, if a consulting firm is not growing fast enough and doesn't have enough places, they will always find a reason not to hire you. Period. They will never tell you, we ha we've reached our quotas, we're not growing fast enough. No. They will find a reason for you to show development. If you can find me, if someone can write in, if anywhere in the world can write in, I will pay them $100 if they can give me an example of where a consulting firm said, and I'm talking about the big three, right? I'm not talking about Accenture and Deloitte. One of the big three telling them that, well, we want to hire you. You are perfect. It has to be both parts, but we can't hire you because we don't have enough places. That will never happen. I will need to see that in writing before I can pay off this $100, but the point is it won't happen. So you must understand the way consulting firms are geared to give you feedback. If they've chosen not to take you, then they will give you development areas. But why they choose not to take you could be a function of many things. At the end of the day, you are being relatively scored against other candidates, and it could just so happen that they have too many good people and you didn't make the cut. But they will never say something like, well, last year we took 10, this year we're only taking 3, so that's why we can't take you. So be very careful of how you interpret feedback. The common one, but my friends. I hear this a lot. Well, you know, Candace tells their feedbacks and then they'll say, but my friend got this. So what if your friend got it? I mean, you, your friend's not the same as you. If you are telling me your friend's exactly the same as you, then let's take their feedback into consideration. You know, this is not ceteris asparagus. All other things are not equal. The point is, even if your friend was exactly like you, 
in the mock interviews that you did with them, you have no idea how they performed on the day of the case. And remember, you can't judge your friend's performance. You know your friend for a year. When the interviewer sees your friend, it's the first time he's seeing your friend or she's seeing your friend. And the point is their perception of your friend will be very different from your perception of your friend. So never ever say, but my friend got this feedback. Because it's, to be honest, it's really clutching straws, you know, when you do that. You cannot compare yourself to someone else. It's, it's like when someone sends me their feedback telling me they've got, um, um, they went for their undergraduate to Princeton, GMAT of 720, they worked here, and what are their chances? Really? So that's how we now define personalities, you know, undergraduate, where you work, and GMAT scores, and GPA. There's a lot more that goes into defining how you performed. So you can't just tell me how you did on your case, how you think you did on communication, how you think you did on fit. You know, how do I know you didn't roll your eyes in front of the interviewer and they made a comment? You could have done it. So the point is, unless you are really careful about the uh, feedback that you capture during the course of the case, unless you are sure that you're getting honest feedback, unless you're sure you are able to understand the feedback, it's very difficult to work with the feedback you receive, right? And just remember the other thing, this, this, what, there's something called the like and dislike curve, which I always tell people. When someone comes into an interview with me, within 30 seconds I decide I like the person, I don't like the person. I mean, that's human nature, right? Let's not pretend it's any other way. Especially at a senior level, you, you either like or don't like the person. The junior levels, you know, the, the associates and the analysts at McKinsey and Bain, they'll pretend that there's a whole lot of thinking that goes into it and they'll make the case very mathematical to make it look as if they really rigorously assessed it. The bottom line is a partnership is owned by the partners. It's a family business, a big family, and they won't take you in unless they think you can add some value to this business. And the first 20 seconds when they meet you, they decide they like you and then they need you to prove in the case that you are worthy of their liking. If they dislike you, you have to work extra hard to convince them otherwise. And that is human nature. So what you got to do here is firstly, when you get your feedback, take it with a pinch of salt. I mean, I'm being really honest with you here. Because you don't know what people remembered in, in, in the interview. You don't know what their focus was in the interview. You don't know which parts they didn't analyze. That's why it didn't show up into the interview. I mean, for all you know, the partner could have stopped the case early because he didn't think your math skills warranted you to go into the rest of the case. So you didn't even test the other skills. You don't know those things, right? If you get feedback, you don't know if it's right. If it's right, you don't know how you are interpreting it. I mean, you don't know what the word structured means. It could mean you had no Macy or it could mean you had no causality. They're two different things. Remember that. Finally, once you get this feedback and assuming you understand it, don't compare it to other people. It's just no point in doing that. At the end of the day, outstanding people, that means that you know they are just naturally polished, speak well, they'll get the offer. And people always tell me this. This guy had a 790 on his GMAT. That's where he got the offer. Let me just correct cause and effect here. I mean, as a consultant, in fact, I should not be correcting this with people who went for consulting interviews. They should understand cause and effect. The mere fact that I need to correct this with people tells me that they shouldn't be consultants to start off with. If someone got 790 in a GMAT, that's not why they got the offer. They were smart. That's why they got 790, and that's why they got the GMAT, and that's why they got the offer. So the point is, you know, don't say that it went to all the people who had high GMAT scores. No, it went to all the people who were smart and got high GMAT scores and got the offers. We know a lot of people who got low GMAT scores, you know, 600, 700s. Well, not many in the 600s, but they're not that few, actually. And in fact, in some really prestigious schools, 
you know, some really left field candidates with low GMAT scores got offers, got interviews, and you know, blew away people with like 760, 740 on the GMAT. So the point is, be very careful of causality. Polished, accomplished people are accomplished in all parts of their lives, right? That's why they got the high GMAT score, and that's why they did well and got the offer. It's not because of the GMAT score. The GMAT score had nothing to do with it, actually. It's a, it's a correlation. It doesn't show causality, right? It's like that famous study done, I think, by Stanford, which says that during a boom times in the economy, women wear shorter skirts. Now, that's just a correlation. There is You can probably prove the causality, but you can't prove which way it works. So the same thing with this GMAT score and offers being made. They didn't get the jobs because of high GMAT scores. They got the jobs because they were smart, and it showed through in their GMAT scores, not the other way around. So you have to be very careful about the w these conclusions you draw. At the end of the day, if you're polished, you're confident, and you're logical, not smart. Always remember that. Logic people get the offers, not smart people. If smart people got the offers, we'd be consulting firms would be awash with PhDs in math and mostly dominated by Caltech, Stanford, and MIT, but they are not. So I think we can put that theory to rest, or that hypothesis to rest. But finally, when this podcast is there, because I think a lot of people are going to be wasting their time trying to divine greater meaning. This is it. Consulting feedback is not the scripture. You know, don't spend, don't get up at 6 a.m. and kneel in front of it and try to understand what is being said there. And definitely don't do it at lunchtime as well. Don't bow, don't pray to it or anything like that. The point is, if you didn't get in, you probably know why it is. I mean, you don't need a partner to tell you that. Let's be honest, right? If you didn't get in, I can tell you the real reasons now. You probably weren't that convincing in your case. You didn't solve the case well. You didn't understand the case and you didn't communicate it well. And you didn't have strong fit. It's one of the three things, but don't try to understand the exact reason when you, where you went wrong, because for all you know, you're going to get a different partner interviewing you. Your resume is going to change by the time you go for full-time hiring. If your resume changes, they will have different things that they may perceive to be a gap, and they'll test you differently. So if you get the feedback from one interviewer saying that, hey, you know, you're bad in structuring, don't spend the next 10 months preparing on how to be good at structuring. It's not going to help you. At the end of the day, you've got to come across confidently, You've got to be confident, not show anxiousness, communicate well, be relatively good at cases. Again, relatively good at cases. People who get offers show strong business judgment. They're not rocket scientists, right? And finally, be logical. The smartest people don't get offers. I know everyone tells me, yes, but this person had 790 in my class. They're really smart. No, they have good business judgment. That is why they don't have to read cases and have intelligent things to say. They are well-read. And that's the value of being well-read. If you've got a case on pharmaceuticals, but you read the paper a lot, you can probably string together some important things to say in the class. But do not confuse that with raw intelligence. It's actually being well-read. And I know people are going to try to just, despite what I'm saying in this podcast, people are going to justify this whichever way they want, because people see what they want when they want to see it. But if you waste your time trying to use consulting feedback as a scripture, you will not be successful in the follow-up. What you should do is, if once you get this feedback, take it to heart and say, maybe I could have done these things better. But then go back to the drawing board and start from the beginning. Don't just fix what one person said was a problem. You don't know if they remembered you correctly. You don't know what feedback they gave. You don't know if you interpreted it correctly. And you don't know why they gave you this feedback. But I think it's an important point to understand as you prepare for the full-time interviews. And this is obviously applies to candidates all over the world as well. If you have any questions, feel free to post a comment and I will respond to it.